Welcome to what is episode 18 of Ponderland and the first episode of 2024. First off, Happy New Year to all my listeners. I hope I'm still able to say that as it is the 10th of January, but as there are 355 days left in the year, I think I can get away, especially as this is the first episode of 2024, in saying Happy New Year to everyone who likes to ponder or listen to me pondering. So, to crack on, I'm going to start this year with a podcast recommendation. I listened to this at the tail end of 2023 and I have listened to each episode now at least two, if not three times. The podcast is called The End of the World with Josh Clark. You might know Josh Clark if you listen to the podcast Stuff You Should Know. That's with Josh and Chuck. Not sure who, what Chuck's second name is. And it doesn't really matter. Stuff You Should Know is a a great podcast. Yet, incidentally, I only learned of the end of the world with Josh Clark through the Stuff They Don't Want You To Know podcast which is from the same suite of podcasts, however it has different hosts, but they had Josh on for one of their episodes, and what they were discussing was his podcast, The End of the World with Josh Clark. Now, what is it that makes this podcast so special that I'm recommending it? It is just fascinating from start to to finish and it's so thoughtful and so thought provoking and it's completely within the sphere of things that really interest and fascinate me so the way he begins the podcast and there aren't that many episodes so it's really easy to listen to one of the things of note is and one of the reasons why I did like it because Like me in this podcast, he is the only person speaking in the end of the world by Josh Clark. Uh, The only thing is, though, that he has constantly got background music in the podcast, which is sometimes okay, and sometimes I find it to be off-putting. It's something I thought about In this podcast, I always thought, maybe because I'm the only person speaking, should I have some music in the background? But I decided that that wasn't the way I wanted to go, and it's still not the way I want to go. So, Josh begins by talking about the Fermi paradox. You know, where is everyone? Fermi postulated back in the 1950s. In terms of the size of the universe... The theory is, the Fermi paradox is, that the universe should be teeming with life by now and we should all have friends who are aliens and, you know, so the fact is that we've never ever met anyone ever from anywhere else. So that's the paradox. Where is everybody? So then he goes on to talk about the Great Filter in the next episode. And the Great Filter postulates that maybe civilizations, intelligent civilizations, have sprung up all over the universe. 
But they get to a certain point that they can't get past. Something prevents them from getting past this certain point in their evolution that prevents them from colonizing the galaxies and the universe at large. And that's known as the Great Filter. So he discusses the Great Filter and whether or not we have actually successfully overcome the Great Filter or whether it lies ahead of us. And then he talks about, in the following episodes, existential risks. And existential risks are the risks that pretty much, if they come to pass, they they signal our end. There's no going back from them. There's no okay, we'll get over this and we'll rebuild and we'll, we'll, we'll push on in a couple of millennia. Existential risks are those in which we are finished. So, and some of those existential risks he goes into then in detail in various episodes, such as artificial intelligence, which is really prescient right now, really prevalent right now. He talks about biotechnology, which is also prescient and, and and relevant based on COVID and stuff like that. He talks about physics experiments and the Large Hadron Collider and micro black holes. And oh, there's so, there's so much. He, he finishes with an epilogue as well, which is about the simulation argument, which is an argument that has always fascinated me. You know, are we living in a simulation? Is this all a dream? That kind of thing. So the podcast itself is is absolutely fantastic. And one of the things he states in the podcast is he says that our generation and possibly the next one or two generations coming through, we are the generations that will ultimately be responsible for either mitigating these existential risks, negotiating or navigating our way through the Great Filter, in fact, the human race and the future of the human 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 race depends on us. We have a part to play on whether or not we see a long term and I'm talking millions of years term future. That's kind of that's kind of a heavy burden to put on you and me, but I suppose it's currently on about eight billion of us. And maybe the next billion to come. Maybe the next eight billion to come. I don't know. But there you go. So if you didn't have enough pressure in your life, you've now got a little more. You have to help us, as a species, navigate the great filter. No pressure. Loads of pressure. Or maybe you just don't care. Anyway, it's a fantastic podcast. Pick it up wherever you get your podcasts. It's available in a myriad of different podcast emporiums. Inequality has featured a lot in this podcast. I know this is only 18 episodes in, but I think in at least half of those episodes I've mentioned inequality in some way, shape or form. And it is something that I'm really passionate about. If you've listened to this podcast, you will know that. You will be aware of that. This will come as no surprise. There is something else that came out in the last couple of weeks in the UK. In the UK, there has been a dramatization, a four-part dramatization of a long-running scandal that has rocked one of the UK's most famous and central institutions to its very core. 
the post office. Back in the late 90s and the early noughties, a new computer system was introduced which was to replace all the manual bookkeeping of the post office that had existed from Victorian times. And this system was called Horizon. And within months of it being deployed, and it was deployed to thousands and thousands of post offices across the UK, every post office was given this new computer system. This is what they had to use to balance their books and to process and log their accounts and stuff like that. Within months, some sub-postmasters and sub-postmistresses started to experience anomalies when using the system. The system started telling them that they were incurring losses that they couldn't get their head around. They couldn't figure out where these losses were coming from, but the system was clearly telling them, you know, you're, you're running at a loss and you need to balance your books, which they often had to do from their own pockets. But, of course, you're not going to just accept the fact that all of a sudden you're running these losses and just pay them and go about your merry way. These people who couldn't figure out where these losses were coming from would contact the help desk. They were given a number of a help desk with which they could raise any concerns or complaints or ask for help. Quite often, and it was in the first episode of this drama, which is called Alan Bates versus the Post Office, and if you have access to this drama even if you're outside the UK you could probably use a VPN and you will get it on itv.com it is a fascinating and fantastically well acted and well produced and brilliantly scripted drama series in the first episode there's this poor woman and she's like she's got this loss of like a thousand pounds showing on her screen she can't figure out where it's come from she phones the helpline and she's like excuse me I've got this and they said to her okay press this button type this do this hit this button with and she did and all of a sudden the loss doubled and she's like the loss just doubled it's now saying I owe two thousand pound and then they told her to do something else and then it was saying she owed £4,000. And then the person on the end of the phone was like, look, it's your responsibility. You're responsible for balance your own books. So get your books balanced. And by the way, you're the only person complaining about this. So it's obviously your fault. I'm going to take a, a break at this point and I'll be right back. I don't normally do this, but during this break, I want to take the time to give a special shout out to a very special pizza chain in Belfast called Pizza Guys. Pizza Guys have only two or three shops in Belfast, but they have vastly become one of the very best pizza places in Belfast, if not the whole of Northern Ireland. If not Ireland, Pizza Guys are amazing. Last night, some thugs took a car and rammed it into their Anderson's Town Road shop. They then burgled the till, taking all of the money that was in the till. They then set the car on fire, which then set the store on fire, which is just scum of the earth. They are absolute scumbags who are of no good or no use to society. 
when somebody like Cairn who owns and runs Pizza Guy so magnificently and contributes so much to the community offers so much so a big shout out to Kieran and a big shout out to Pizza Guys and if any of my listeners no matter where you're from are ever in Belfast then please support Pizza Guys thank you these podcast breaks are great what is mere seconds for you can be a half an hour for me and a pizza in between where was I? yes the horizon software system scandal in the UK post office everyone who called that number and it turned out that there were over 800 people over the course of the scandal who had called the number to say things are not right with my system I'm seeing losses that I can't account for and I think there must be something wrong with this computer system. Everybody who called up, and this was back in the late 90s, early noughties, so there was no social media. The internet was still pretty much in its infancy in terms of widespread common use. Everyone was told... You're the only one this is happening to. This isn't happening to anybody else. There's nothing wrong with the system if it's only you that's having problems. And then what happened was as these losses mounted up for these sub-postmasters and postmistresses, and as it got to the stage where they couldn't afford to cover these losses from their own money the post office took them to court and prosecuted them and the post office doesn't have to go through the police or anything like that because the post office due to some arcane law in the UK constitution or whatever the post office had the full power of the law behind it so the post office itself could prosecute people itself and there were people within the post office who knew there was a problem and maybe they didn't know the extent of the problem and maybe they did but they let hundreds of people face prosecution gain criminal records some went to jail Some took their own lives because, not just because of the financial loss, but because of the loss of reputation, because of the loss of pride, because they knew the truth and yet found themselves sometimes doubting that truth because of the weight or what seemed like the weight of evidence against them. So here's where the inequality bit comes into play because all of these previously upstanding members of the community and a postmaster or a postmistress was often the central pillar of a community and was often a very well-known and very respected person within a community. 
Some communities rallied round their postmaster or postmistress and others didn't. Others vilified them. Others accused them of having stolen their savings, of having stolen their elderly parents' savings, of having stolen their children's savings. So some people were really vilified. But the fact is, these people had no recourse. And once the post office decided that it was going to prosecute, then there was very little that these people could do. It is a horrendous miscarriage of justice. But the people at the top of the post office, and I'm going to talk about the people at the top of the post office, so I'm talking about the executives, I'm talking about the the chief executives, I'm talking about, and I think there were two or three chief executives over the course of this. One chief executive, the one who was there for the majority of the time that the scandal was ongoing, received a knighthood for her services to the post office, which she has voluntarily returned as of yesterday, the 9th of January 2024. Here's the thing about chief executives in the UK, and it's probably going to be the same in most of the Western world, if not the world. So in the UK, you've got the what's known as the FTSE 100. So these are the top 100 companies listed in the stock exchange. So the Financial Times ran an article last week about inequality where the mean or median pay of a CEO of a FTSE 100 company gets, I think it's somewhere in the region of three and a half million pounds per year before bonuses and stuff like that and shares and, and everything else that they get on top. And the average salary in the UK is somewhere around 30, 35,000 pound a year, something like that. It takes, it takes someone on the main salary of the FTSE 100 companies, it takes them three days, three days to earn what the average person earns. And remember, there are a lot of people who earn way below the average. And there, and there are a few who earn above it. But these people, and I remember asking somebody once upon a time, why does a CEO get so much money? You know, how is it justified that they get so much money? You'd expect them to get more money than anybody else in the company, but how come they get so much more? How come they can make the average salary in three days and the answer I remember getting from the individual or the group who I had asked the question of was this. The CEO gets all that money because their decisions can determine the fate of the company. And therefore they're carrying all the risk and therefore the reward has to match that risk. Now, I probably asked that question nearly 20 years ago and in the time since I have seen this particular scandal, Horizon, I have seen scandals in other companies that maybe just aren't on as grand a scale. I vividly because it's still fresh remember the boeing 737 max scandal which has a new chapter to it this year when a door blew off 
one of its flights, an Alaskan Airlines flight, like a door blew off mid-flight. And apparently now that's going to lead to another investigation into working practices in Boeing. These scandals that occur within these companies never seem to lead to much by way of personal loss to the executives. The executives might lose their job and they might lose their knighthood. They might resign, but they don't really suffer any financial penalty. They are typically able to move to another company at a similar position, sometimes a little worse, sometimes a little or a lot better. They, d- they don't ever seem to really take much of a loss. They often leave with a big severance package and then they start somewhere new with an equally lucrative reward package. So therefore, my question would be, if they are responsible for the fate of a company, yet the fate of a company even should that be a bad fate? If that does not reflect personally on the executive themselves, then I'm, I'm back to my original question. Why do they get so much money? Surely, in the post office example, if all of these postmasters and postmistresses were prosecuted, often losing their home, sometimes losing their family, sometimes losing their life, often going to prison, These are massive, massive personal losses, huge personal losses for something that was the fault of a poorly designed, implemented and maintained computer system. So why, now that the facts and the truth has come to light, why now are executives not going to prison as a result? Because effectively... They stole the money from those postmasters and postmistresses because these losses that they were incurring was actually the system stealing their money and showing them that they were incurring losses when in fact they were not. So their money was stolen, which ended up in, guess what? That money is likely to have ended up as profits for the post office. Profits that then would have translated into dividends for the post office's shareholders. I really think that if a CEO is going to be all accountable, all responsible, etc., etc., for the fate of a company, then something such as this, an example needs to be set, and I would very much like to see proper justice being done. Anyway, the drama is great. It's great to see the truth finally coming out. That's fantastic. What else in this happy new year was I going to talk about? I think that's probably enough for now. Two great recommendations there. Honestly, I can't stress that enough. That podcast, The End of the World with Josh Clark and Alan Bates versus the Post Office. And just on the Josh Clark one, because we do mention the Fermi, or I did mention the Fermi paradox, and that's his first chapter of the end of the world. Fermi was one of the scientists who worked on the Manhattan Project with Oppenheimer, and I watched Oppenheimer before Christmas as well, and it's a brilliant film. 
But here's one to get your head around. At one point, they looked at the possibility that the atomic bomb that they were going to test, the Trinity test, at one point they thought there was a chance that the detonation of that bomb might set the atmosphere of the world on fire and the setting on fire of the atmosphere of the entire world would have been an existential threat to all of us. That would have been one of those ones. That would have been a great filter that we would not have come out the other end of. And I find that fascinating that although they arrived at the conclusion that it was highly unlikely, the possibility of it happening was not zero. The possibility was above zero and therefore there was a possibility, however slight. Yet a small group of people without the rest of the planet even having a clue as to what they were doing were taking a decision like that. They were saying, okay, the risk, it's within our tolerance, it's within our thresholds, let's uh, let's push the button. And just to show how much that science was in its infancy, the explosion that they measured during the Trinity test was something around the lines of 20 times more than what they expected. So, you know, there were a few unknowns in what they were doing, but thankfully the atmosphere is still here and life is still here, albeit for now. Yet please go and listen to that podcast because Josh is going to tell you what you need to do to make sure that millions of years from now our descendants will be colonizing the galaxy and playing real life Star Trek. All right, I will be back as soon as I can. Hope you're all keeping well. Happy New Year again. Hopefully 2024 is the year for you. See ya. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Ponderland. I sincerely hope you enjoyed it. To contact the show, you can send us an email, hello at ponderland.life. You can also follow us on Twitter at ponderlandlife. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, and most other places where you consume your podcasts. Thank you.